Welcome to Daily Defining Moments. This is Pastor Allen, and I'm so glad you're with me. Our goal each day is to help you open your Bible and connect with Jesus. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We're reading through the New Testament portion of the one-year Bible in the New Living Translation. Today is August 23rd, and our reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1, Paul says this, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. So here's the question. What is the good news? Well, watch what he says beginning in verse 3. I passed on to you that which was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, you can go ask the witnesses yourself. Verse 7, then he was seen by James, which of course was his half-brother, and all the apostles, and then last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. So he begins by explaining what the gospel is. Jesus died for our sins, and he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And then he gives evidence for the resurrection. Jesus was seen by Peter. He was seen by the 12 apostles. Then he appeared to a group of people, 500 people at one time. These are eyewitnesses. Paul says they're still alive. You can go ask them yourself. And then he appeared to James. James, of course, was his half-brother. Just imagine what it would take for you to convince your half-brother that you were the Messiah, the Son of God. So James believes. And then he says, and finally, he appeared to me. And of course, that was on the Damascus Road. So one of the things I think is so important, and what we'll see in the rest of this passage, is that our faith rests on the historical truthfulness, the historical reality of the resurrection. The resurrection proves Jesus was indeed the Son of God. God in the flesh, the Savior of the world. Now, it's interesting when you begin studying history, several people throughout history have tried to destroy the claims of Christ by studying the resurrection in order to prove often to somebody that they love that their faith in Christ was foolish, only to discover that the evidence is so overwhelming that they give their life To Christ. If you'd like to read about this, a great book is called The Case for Christ, written by Lee Strobel, an investigative journalist who set out to disprove Christianity because his wife started going to church and in the process became convinced Jesus was who he claimed to be primarily because of historical evidence for the resurrection. Now, let me give you some of that evidence. The biggest issue is where is the body of Christ after his crucifixion if he wasn't resurrected? Now, remember, the church was born in Jerusalem, the same city where Jesus was crucified 
just a few days earlier. So when the church was born, when everybody began proclaiming that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus rose from the dead, well, if they're claiming that in the same city where he was crucified and buried, then all everybody had to do was, well, let's go to the tomb and see for ourselves. Well, the tomb was empty. So here's the question. What happened to the body? Well, there are lots of theories. So for example, maybe robbers came and stole the body of Jesus. Well, there's two big problems with that. Number one, Jesus was poor. It's not like his tomb. He wasn't one of the uh, kings of Egypt. It's not like his tomb was full of riches. He was a poor man buried in a, in a tomb, and there was nothing for you to gain from stealing the body. Plus, there was a Roman guard stationed. The tomb was sealed. So if you were going to steal the body of Jesus, you were doing so at the risk of your own life. You were going to be taking on a heavily armed group of Roman soldiers. Well, some have said, well, maybe the Jews stole the body. The Jews realized that Jesus claimed he would rise from the dead. They're the ones that got the Romans to post a guard to make sure that nothing happened to the body. But if the Jews took the body, when people started making claims about the resurrection of Jesus, all they had to do was produce the body of Jesus, show that he was still dead, and the early church would have been finished. So it wasn't the Jews. Some have said, well, maybe the Romans stole the body. Well, again, the Romans were guarding the body. And secondly, the Romans saw the way these new Christians, these followers of Jesus, as a threat to Roman authority because they claimed Jesus was king. So again, if the Romans had the body, they would simply produce the body when the early church began and the church would have been finished. Well, some have said, well, maybe the disciples stole the body so they could make up this lie and kind of keep their little religion going. Well, once again, the only way they could do that is they'd have to overcome this Roman guard who's guarding the tomb. But secondly, remember, just a few days earlier, when Jesus is arrested, all of these same disciples, they all fled and abandoned Jesus. They weren't going to fight. They were afraid for their own lives. And now, are you suggesting that they changed their mind and decided to take on a group of Roman soldiers? Right? That doesn't even make sense. Furthermore, if you saw Jesus die and you knew he was dead, why would you steal his body in order to start a religion that was going to cost you your life and probably the life of your family? See, people sometimes die believing a lie, but they don't die knowing that it's a lie, right? People don't give their life for a religion that they know is untrue. They give their life for a religion they believe is true. And the only thing that would have created that kind of shift in the heart and life of these disciples who were so afraid when Jesus was resurrected and then spend the rest of their life preaching the gospel all over the Roman Empire and they were all martyred for their faith except for John. The only thing that would produce that kind of shift and change in their life is they had an encounter. 
they saw the resurrected Christ, actually on multiple occasions, and he commissioned them into the ministry, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit that gave them courage, faith, and power. So it was the resurrection that changed everything and led to the birth of the early church, and the historical evidence for the resurrection really is overwhelming. Again, here's another great book. It's called Person of Interest written by a detective, an investigator, who was setting set out to determine what happened to Jesus, who killed him, and we've got a missing body. And he approached Jesus the same way he would a murder case with a missing body. It's a fascinating book, fascinating story. The evidence is overwhelming. Now, watch what Paul says next, beginning in verse 14. He says, if Christ hasn't been raised then our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is useless. You're still guilty of your sins. And in that case, all who died believing in Christ are lost deceived, without hope. Verse 19, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, in other words, if we're Christians just so that we can live a moral good life in this life, that's all it's about, man, we should be more pitied than anyone else in the world. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who will die. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has become through another man, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first fruits of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. When Jesus returns, our body will be resurrected, a new glorified body, united with our spirit, and we will live with the Lord in paradise forever and ever. Verse 24, after that, the end will come. When he will return, when he'll turn the kingdom of God over to the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we just need to understand when Jesus does return, it won't be as a suffering servant but a conquering, reigning, glorious king. Our faith rests on the resurrection. And if you have any doubts about faith, if you struggle to believe, let me encourage you, read those two books, The Case for Christ, A Person of Interest. Let's settle our doubts, strengthen our faith, and put our hope in the resurrected Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, We thank you so much that we serve the Lord Jesus who died for our sins and rose from the grave to give us eternal life. Your resurrection proves everything you said was true and you are who you claimed to be. And so today we put our faith in you. God, we pray that you would settle our fears and our doubts, that you'd build our faith and that we'd live our life with this assurance that God holds my future, that death has no power over me. I will live forever. You are the resurrection and life, and who believes in you will live 
even if he dies. God, we will live forever in paradise with you. You will reign forever and ever for all eternity. And we love you and worship and bless you. We're so grateful for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for being with me today. I hope that encourages you. Man, you're going to live forever. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We'll see you again tomorrow.